and welcome to another Cat's Cradle, the show within a show where we talk about, I mean, game stuff. Uh, this week, the gang's all here. We have me, Cat, your host, your king. We have Kathleen. Hello. We have a Kirsten. Hi. We have Nick is here. I am. This week, I would like to continue our recent discussion about combat systems and encounters. Specifically, we talked a lot last time we did a cat's cradle when we had a bill about how encounters are structured in Heroic Chord and kind of the um, the advantages of the encounter system as it stands right now. And I thought it would be really fun if we just designed an encounter. Great. Yeah. This ought to give a nice sense of how things come together and how easily it can come together. And hopefully we'll have something with some neat flavor to it. Also, you get to see all of our design processes and you'll be able to call us out on our, our oddities. Ah. Mm. We've already called out some of Kathleen's oddities. <laughs> well, I was just going to say like step one, Nick is going to say robots. <laughs> That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. That was half actual suggestion and also half joke, but let's pull it back a little bit and let's draw back and let's go. What kind of encounter do we want to start with? Do we want to start with something adversarial? Do we want to start with like a survival encounter? Do we want to do like a mystery encounter or something like that? Oh, don't say the M word. You're going to set her off. Hey, did you hear that intake <laughs> of breath that I did? Of course we did. I absolutely heard that. Yeah. Because you've got a brand too, bud. <laughs> the system does totally allow for that. You could totally do a, I guess you wondered why I gathered you here in the parlor type thing if we wanted. But I'll let people take, you know, weigh their opinions. Here's what I would like to propose. Because there's a very good chance that we're going to bicker for the entire episode about what kind of encounter this is going to be. However, there are four of us. And I'm a huge nerd who has four-sided dice. Oh. Ooh. So maybe everybody float a concept and we will let the dice decide. All right. Well, I do enjoy the mystery concept that Nick floated. So uh, I'm going to say that if Nick doesn't mind, I'll take that one. That's fine. I will then float my original that I am going to say a combat encounter against an automaton. Okay. Damon! <laughs> Damon! Nice. I have a brand too. <laughs> and I guess I'll suggest that we design a horror because there's a lot of interesting ways to get conceptual with attacks and abilities while also just being like a cool space to come up with cool spooky stuff to try to scare each other. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Um, Can I just say that I actually, no matter what the dice come up with, I like all of these. Yeah, I figured that we were all going to come up with great things and then be unable to decide, so... What? The dice says number two... Automaton? It's horror time. Horror. Horror, horror time. Oh, horror time. Okay. Oh, okay. I, de I decided to go in the order we're listed in Discord. Aha. 
I see. Okay. So I've designed a couple of horrors. Most of the time, I have kind of gone back to the way that Kat first described horrors to us, which is that they are sort of warfare spirits. And so the ones that I have designed are sort of representative of some sort of combat. But Kat has designed horrors that are all sorts of traumatic, violent events. Yeah, I... um. The original plan was Warfare Spirits, but I found it more interesting to go with just, like, traumatic events. And I kind of stand by that. I think a lot of them, most of them should be Warfare Spirits because war is heck. But there's all kinds of things that can leave a mark on the world. Yeah, no, we've had some very creative horrors. I guess before we get too far into it, I want to put on my big nerd hat, my big crunchy mechanics nerd hat, and say, Mm -hmm. what power level should we make our horror at? That was actually going to be my very first question. Aha. Because, yeah, that's one of the first steps when you're writing an encounter is determining how difficult this is going to be. I, You know what? I'm going to float. Let's do a climactic battle from the end of season one. So, so what we got on the show for you listeners out there who have not yet listened to the, what was that art called, Cat? Swords of the Waste, I'm not Cat. Oh, okay. Thank you, not Cat. <laughs> yes, for, for those of you out there who have not yet listened to Swords of the Waste, that is our end of season one arc. And I guess, not so spoilers if you've read the setting, uh, we have to fight a big, giant mob of horrors because that's what happens when you go up north. That's why people don't go up north. But that was our season one finale. So I say let's do something, maybe not exactly that, but... That's that climactic and cool and, like, dangerous. Okay. All right. So a boss encounter is going to have as many actions as the party has. Let's say that a brand new crew of three brave souls is our new party here. Okay. So we're going to want this to have three actions per round then. Four if we really want to wreck them. Okay, so we're making this a big climactic encounter. Nick, you've brought up the swarm. Do we want to uh, involve the swarm in this encounter? Do we want to make it just a big climactic horror fight? What are you thinking? Actually, you know what? And I'm I'm not going to, or I'm going to try not to bogart the conversation as much after this, but I think it would be really cool to do two like a twin horror. Oh. Okay. So we're thinking of a pair of horrors that are a boss encounter for an early game party, the end of an arc, something big and flashy. Mm-hmm. The question I always ask when I'm designing an encounter, well, I don't have to ask it because I already know it, but where is this taking place? Heroic Chord, after all, pays a lot of attention to where you are. Mm-hmm. How about somewhere on the last tooth? Mm-hmm. Okay. Not traditionally horror territory, but I'm listening. I do like the idea of, of the last tooth because it just seems so, like, barren and desolate in a way, if that makes sense. Like, when you get up high and it's like you're in this very, like, harsh territory, which I think lends itself well to some kind of 
intense encounters. Okay, I like that idea. I'm vibing with it. How about, and this doesn't necessarily vibe with having two of them, but how about a horror that represents the desperation of the climb at high altitudes? Ooh. Oh. Like a starkness and a desolation and a desperation kind of thing. Perhaps there were two teams trying to make the summit. Or you could have a kind of like conflicting emotions, the desire to keep going versus the desire to go back. (gasps) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like that could give us something to like grab onto in terms of how to flavor the moves. Hmm. Okay, I like the idea of like the push and pull, two conflicting things. So yeah, I guess something that kind of plays with you know, tactics that are two sides of the same coin. Well, okay, so that's a little bit of a concept. We can work it down from there. So what do you think our next step is? Well, funny, I was about to actually bring up what our next step is, and um, that's because I've had an idea. Because usually what I do next is the difficulties to advance the three goals. Okay. And typically horrors are easier to destroy and outlast than they are to redirect because they're mindless. But what if, depending on which of them was dominant, they had a different set of uh, goal difficulties? <gasps> Ooh, so depending on which one, then, then you have, then it switches. One of them is easier to destroy, but very difficult to outlast because it's drawing you in. And one is very easy to outlast, but difficult to destroy because it's pushing you away. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like that. I also, and again, this isn't something that the system does naturally, but the sort of push-pull, you can also say that, like, when the encounter starts, everything is the same. And if you go in one direction, the others start to change. So, like, if you start and you're like, okay, we're going to destroy, then when you start going down the destroy track, maybe, you know, it makes the other track. Well, hmm. That's not really... I mean, you can, yeah, let's talk about um, encounter special mechanics. Yeah. Because that's sort of an option to give us something like this. Um, I think that I was the first one to codify them quite the way, like, that we've ended up templating things. But you might have heard Kat say like in several of the last encounters on Sword of Symphonies, is like, hey, there's a special rule. Like, for instance, with the Herathmus, all of the stuff involving it, we had that special rule where at any point we could scatter one and get a success. Or was it scatter one and get an extra die? It was scatter one for an extra die. Yeah. But I think the thing to keep in mind with special rules for the encounter system is that there should probably be one idea that you've got sort of one extra thing that can happen beyond the dice rolls, and it should be a fairly readable kind of idea. You're like, okay, I can make a guess as to how this is going to affect things. So we don't want to put too much weight on this special rule, but the special rule, we can write one to give it a little bit of flavor. Yeah, thinking along that line, and now that I've kind of assembled my thoughts a little bit better into the direction that the system works, I was thinking to go with the push and pull, depending on if you went down destroy or, yeah, destroy or outlast, basically the other one 
would become more powerful. So you would get more, more abilities from the other one. So if you were going through the destroy, which I guess we, we kind of threw out that the destroy was the going up the mountain, that going down the mountain then would have more dangerous attacks. Whereas if you tried to outlast going up the mountain, then would try and get in your grill maybe a little bit more. So like depending on where on each track, it would unlock different moves. That's something I would usually do in the move step. Like in the text of a move, I would say like only used if Outlast has been advanced twice or something like that. Okay. We're definitely going to have to come up with a lot of moves. I don't know. if we're. Well, I think what we can do is we can come up with like a couple of generic moves and then a couple of like unique ones. So if we're going to come up with five moves total, three of them it'll always use. And then it has like specials that'll unlock if you drive one of those two in a certain direction. But also before we get too far ahead, I think then that destroy and outlast should both be like, I would say baseline, you know, obviously like uh, we'll say five in each direction, but then maybe put redirect as like slightly harder. Just because one, yeah, they're horrors and two, there's two of them. So it's, it's harder to, uh, to fool them because, you know, they have two different perspectives. Yeah. I usually crank redirect on horrors. I usually put it at like eight or nine. You're not reasoning with it. It's a horror. Yeah. I always tend to make encounters with higher numbers than Cat does, I think. You definitely do. Yeah. That's, uh. But five or six is a good place for a season one party, I think. Yeah. If we're planning on ramping them up, I would go as low as four. But that's that's me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I think if we start at four and ramp them up perhaps as high as six, I think that would be like boss material. Yeah. Okay. I guess the other question then is how many steps do encounters usually have? Five. Five? Five steps. Five. Okay. Yeah. So... Would our would our ramp ups then go like four five five six six or four four five five six something like that? Something like that. It's it's sort of the question we are dealing with right now is how mechanically do we want this ramp up thing to work? Because it could go a lot of ways. We could have that sort of be the special encounter mechanic is that it ramps up as you go. It could instead be something move based where it's we don't change the difficulty to destroy or outlast, but we could have some special text that, like, if destroy has been advanced, this move costs more out of your advantage pool to avoid, for instance. I guess in that case, and this is another good thing to put out there just because don't over-design encounters. So I like the changing moves thing better than the ramping difficulty. What does everybody else think? Yeah, I mean, as also if we're going for the idea that depending on which horror is dominant at the time, changes the track, changing moves seems to kind of fit that. Another thing we could do that I do pretty regularly is uh, do it in moves. Like instead of doing it in special rules, just have it occasionally use a move that'll bump the difficulty of uh, Destroyer Outlast. Oh. Yeah, okay. That is a good solution that I hadn't really thought of. Yeah, I like to do things like that in moves because it also gives the players a chance to stop it from happening. Mm-hmm. Ah, and then... So, like, you pr- you propose a change to the combat and the party actually gets input on it. 
Yeah, I really like that. And that also brings to mind the idea of like, I like when we have to kind of use a bit of meta to balance the encounter, if that makes sense, where it's like, okay, do we let this happen? Do we let this flip happen? Because we know that that can lead to this, or do we try to prevent that because we, you know, are in this state, and if we let it happen, then they'll, like, totally bone us or whatever, right? So giving the players that extra choice makes the combat, gives it that extra layer. So what I have written down is destroy costs five to advance, redirect costs eight, and outlast costs five to start off. Mm -hmm. Sounds good to me. I like that starting point. How about we do this for special rules? Mm -hmm. How about instead of putting degrees on it, we just have a binary switch. It switches modes depending on whether the party last advanced, outlast, or destroy. Oh, okay. And then we can have moves that are just like advanced mode, destroy mode. Yeah. This has kind of like a Zelda boss flavor to it, like this, I think. A little bit. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. When I said a twin monster, I first went to uh, the twin sandworms from Majora's Mask. Hmm. Oh, I went twin Rova. Mm -hmm. I, the name twin Rova popped into my head, but the picture was the <laughs> twin worms. <laughs> we have influences. <laughs> Alrighty, so just to summarize where we're at. We have got 585 for our difficulties. We have got three actions per round. This takes place in a high-altitude alpine environment, so that's something we can play with. And based on whether the party last advanced destroy or outlast, we're going to be seeing different moves. Sounds good to me. Okay. I guess that means it's time to do moves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we get too excited, or as I'm mostly saying this to myself, before we get too excited, we should pick a limit. Because just based off of this, I can come up with like 20 things, no problem. And that's a bit much. Don't do that. I usually, when I'm writing an encounter, like to have at least twice as many moves as it gets actions per round. So that hypothetically, the GM can go two rounds without repeating a move. Okay. I also think for R1 here, let's let's give it something. So six is double what it does, but let's give it seven or eight because it's not going to be able to use some of them all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's exactly what it would look like if I was doing it. Yeah, I guess my thought is sort of like, okay, what do we want the shape of this encounter to be? What? How do we want the pacing to work? We know that we're going to be switching between stuff and we know that we kind of have a destroy track versus an outlast track. Um, how is it going to feel different to have one versus the other? Or what is going to encourage you to have to deal with one versus the other? I have a proposal. Yes? How about when it's in one mode, the attacks are very expensive, but not hugely damaging? And when it's in the other mode, the attacks are less expensive to avoid, but hit like train. I like that. So maybe outlast mode, the attacks are easier to avoid, but you do not want to get caught by them. Mm -hmm. And destroy mode, 
it just like saps your advantage pool. Or else you start taking things like uh, like restrictions. I like that. Yeah. That also gives it a good flavor of, you know, like as you're going up the mountain, you're starting to get like attrition because it's going to get harder and harder and you have to expend more energy to push forward. Whereas going down, you know, if you lose your footing, you know, maybe you tumble off the mountain as somebody who's driven down a mountain in a bad snowstorm. 100% I can see something like that happening. Right. And that way, that gives the players an incentive to be like, actually, maybe we prefer to be in this mode. Mm-hmm. Maybe we prefer the one that's more manageable on our advantage pool so we can spend it going all out on offense. Cool. Or maybe we want the one whose attacks are less catastrophic so we can weather them and build our advantage pool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that idea. Thinking about it and and thinking about what you said, I think a good place to start is something that regardless of what you're going to do, they should definitely have some sort of snowstorm or blizzard-like ability. Because whether you're going up the mountain or down the mountain, that is going to be dangerous all the time. Here's a thought. What if we take some ideas of sort of problems you're running into and how they feel different going up versus going down? So like Nick, you mentioned a snowstorm, for instance. Okay. And so we kind of design them in pairs like that. That's going to make things easier on us for sure. Would avalanche maybe be the um, antithesis to snowstorm? In that like snowstorm is kind of more a thing of attrition where it's like you're going through the elements and it's hard where like the longer you're there, the colder you freeze. Avalanche is sort of like a sudden force that hits really hard. Oh, so so do the so do the skills as like pairs then? Yeah. So snowstorm and avalanche are are they a pair? Because I'm down for that idea. I was thinking, right. yeah, like one horror would have snowstorm and the other horror might have avalanche. Then coming back to the idea of certain moves being harder to avoid but causing less damage. Like, snowstorm is harder to avoid because it's, like, everywhere. I guess an avalanche is everywhere, too. Uh, (laughs) But, like, an avalanche is, like, more sudden and has higher immediate impact. Hmm. So here's my pitch for a snowstorm attack is the horror is kicking up the snow around you. It becomes difficult to see. It becomes difficult to hear the rest of the party members spend say two or no one can roll sensitivity next round Mm. oh i like that yeah i think that's a really good like straightforward one it's something that it's going to want to use a lot you know for flavor reasons obviously obviously if one of the characters is very sensitivity based they're not going to appreciate it but yeah like keeping it low you said what two to prevent it Mm mm-hmm I think that's flavorful, solid, simple, straightforward. Like, that's a good bread and butter. I'm just going to be real mean with Avalanche because I'm, like, Kathleen likes to be mean in difficulties. I like to be mean in moves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's uh, very much my style. I would like Avalanche to look like this. It costs six to avoid. No, wait. Um... Which was the one that was going to be expensive to avoid and which was going to be the one that was cheap to avoid but very mean? 
I think it was expensive to avoid, but not too mean was up the mountain and then cheap and dangerous is down the mountain. Okay. So avalanche should be cheap, but dangerous. And it can still be big. Oh no, it is still going to be big. Make, make no mistake. Like it just isn't going to cost 10 or something. Yeah. 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 How about this? And this is pretty cheap as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Four to avoid. Mm-hmm. Everyone in the party has to choose whether to take four damage or lose their next turn. There we go. Oh. Ooh, that is mean. This is like, do you move out of the way of the avalanche? <laughs> or do you... Aggro. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's how I do it. I do like that one. That one's a good mean one that they can... I. I don't think that's the one you open with, but that's the one where, like, you know, you get to you get to bust that out halfway through the fight, and the players are like, "Oh, mm-hmm. we done it now." Oh no! How about something? Uh, I don't know what to call it, but the idea is where it's like, as you're getting higher altitude, you're going into like hypoxia, right? So, like, something about you have to spend something or you start losing scatter because you're getting lightheaded and stuff like that. I like yeah. that a great deal. I even like that name. That's a good name for a move. Yeah. Yeah. So, if it's an up mountain move, it's an attrition thing. So. Yeah, it's drawing all the air or the oxygen out of the surrounding area. So, it's really hard to prevent, but it's probably, as you said, what, it was like. Uh, drains one scatter or yeah so i don't know numbers but drain scatter and i kind of like the idea of like it possibly like stacking like the longer you ignore it the worse it gets okay yeah maybe something like it costs six to avoid but it drains one scatter for each time it's used it oh so it's also one of those things where like you can put it off for a little bit but not forever that's extremely extremely unkind I think six is a lot. Six is a lot. I would maybe bump that down to four or five. Anything that is a kind of stacking over time effect is generally a big stress for pacing in an encounter and generally is something that players will pay attention to. So I don't know if it will be like the signature move of upwards facing, but... This seems like a big deal, and I think that that's going to be something that the other moves move around. So, may I pitch the downward-facing aggro version of this? Go ahead. All right. When you're descending, you get pulled down by inevitable gravity. Ah. Descending Descending mode is outlast, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. The party must either advance outlast this turn, or everyone takes four damage. Okay. You got to keep going on or else you're going to fall and hurt yourself. Turn your feet into wheels. Wheels. I like it. It's a joke literally only for curse. (laughs) 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 But um, I love moves that are just like, you better advance the track this round or else. Yeah. How much is it going to cost? Our other downhill move is four, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I'd put this one at like a three. Okay. No, I'd put this one at four. Who am I kidding? <laughs> four is where my gut is telling me to put this one. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Then let's put it. Let's put it at four. 
Yeah, the thing to consider is that Outlast costs five. Oh, yeah. So, like, I think even putting it three could be an interesting sort of, like, it's cheaper to not do it, but it's not that much more expensive to let it go through. Yeah, I like that argument. Let's put three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, remember, I know well human terror. Until next turn, anyone who wants to act must spend scatter for every die they roll. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Do we want to crib that? We already have some scatter stuff going on, so let's lean into that. How about, like, fear of heights or something? Like, yeah. Oh. Also naming a move Acrophobia is another, again, that's a good name. Yeah. I costed it at five when I did the Prathmas Temple. That's another thing I do. I crib moves from other encounters all the time. That's mm-hmm. cool. You should do it. So I, I think in that case, then, because this is one season earlier and because this is supposed to be the cheaper, I'd say bumping that down to four is probably four or three. I think for season one would be like, I think that's probably about where we want it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd go for maybe a th- three. Well, so my thought is that the most expensive part of this move is coming out of your rolls, right? Could we make it two to one? Like for every two dice you roll, you uh, gain a scatter, or is that too mathy? That's the other thing about tabletop RPG design is simple math is complicated when you're dealing with a lot of it. Yeah. The more math there is, the more mathy it feels. That's a good question, actually. Like uh, me as somebody who is willing to get into the weeds at the drop of a hat, I would definitely say, yeah, let's go halvesies because that just gives a like a closer feel to what sort of we wanted out of this as being a toned down version of that. But also, you know, maybe we can tweak the, like the cost of the move or when it does it or something else like that to avoid having to make everyone divide by two. Hmm. How about this? How about this? Mm-hmm. I don't like halfsies. I'm trying to think of a graceful way to template that, and I can't. That's legit. And like, as I might have mentioned in the templating episode of Cat's Cradle, how you word things can be the difference between a mechanic being overwhelmingly complicated and simple enough to get your head around. If you can think of an elegant, to the point, very clear way of stating something, it's going to feel a lot easier for the player. So how about this? Before making a skill roll, players must spend scatter equal to the facet they choose to roll with. Oh, Oh, that's great. Yeah. So they can add key on top of that with no penalty. They can add skill on top of that with no penalty. So a full-blown in-key skill roll is going to be roughly halvesies. Yeah, I like that. That's a good split of the difference. It's also just, it's easy to communicate, which is very important for me. Yeah, that works great. Downhill version. Mm -hmm. Rock slide. Same thing, but HP. Yep. (laughs) Perfect. I do. I I honestly really like the symmetry. (laughs) That's what I love about the system is I feel like when you get the, um, the thematics, you have this beautiful framework to create something that just feels really satisfying. I think the thing we're moving into dichotomy wise is we're doing sort of like scatter heavy versus HP heavy. Yeah, we're doing an emotional toll versus a physical toll. Yeah. 
which I'm enjoying, frankly. And then should we just do a pair of moves that it can use in either mode? Sure. I mean, we don't have a straight up attack. Yeah, I was thinking maybe some sort of like, because I'm imagining these things as kind of weird, like wolves or cats. I don't know, like maybe flat. Yes, they're they're flat wolves. But mostly I was thinking because they like dive in and out of the snow. Ah, uh, yeah. Like a snow wolf snake there. That's that's what I'm thinking about. Okay, a flat snow wolf snake. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, all right. So in that case, can I propose just a two for two single target bite? Yes. We could call it frostbite. There we you go. We could call it frostbite. Kirsten. A plus. Yeah. yeah. The other notable thing is that I think all of our other abilities seem to be party focused. I think making one a like straggler or something like that or trying to separate one person off would be good and thematic. How about uh, a howl that prevents a single person from making skill rolls? Not from acting, but from making skill rolls this turn. I like that very much. It's kind of like a, again, there's a bit of a mirror to the whole, sort of like I know well human terror and the fact of like it, because it scares you, it prevents you from being able to think rationally. Yeah. A woo. What do we want to cost this howl? Say three? Three was exactly what I was thinking, yes. Because once again, we're thinking about a season one character rolling sort of on average between three and five dice with, so between five and seven, if they're playing to their key. And then since 50% of your outcomes are successes or edge successes, that sort of puts the gamble right in that area where you can expect to roll. I also think as a boss, we can probably say that if they're, if we're looking at five max, that maybe say, because this is a boss fight, expect the players to get, I want to say expect nine, which is more, a little more than half because it's, you know, this is the big climactic dangerous fight, but I don't know if that's too mean so tell you what, why don't we say expect the players, if they all buddy up, to get eight. Yeah. Yeah. Gang, it sounds like we did an encounter. It sounds like we did an encounter. I think, I think we did. I, I want to play this encounter. <laughs> I want to make a party fight this encounter. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Ooh. I mean, actually, we have all the numbers there. If our listeners want to like try out this encounter and give us their their feedback on what they how what they enjoyed about it, that'd be really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, why don't we write this up and like put it on our website somewhere and have a link to that in the episode post somewhere? That sounds fun. And listener, if you give this encounter a try. Please let us know. Please let us know. Nick, I've chosen you. How can they let us know? They can either send us a message on the Twitter at Peach Garden RPGs or head on over to our website, peachgardengames.com, and fill out the form there. We also have a Discord, the Heroic Discord, in fact, where you can come and let us know about all of your cool parties fighting mountain horrors and just, like all the other cool, fun things that you've been doing in the setting. We would love to hear about it. And uh, there's one other place you can find us at, 
Uh, you can find us on the Be Gay Roll Dice Discord. They are our cool network family, and you can find us over there. Um, and in fact, you will hear from one of our other cool, great network sibs after this. That was a really good dismount, but we still have to say goodbye to listener. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to us. Bye. We love you. Bye, listener. Bye. Bye, listeners. Be gay. Roll dice. An LGBTQIA actual play podcast network. Hi, welcome to The Game is Afoot. This is a podcast where queer guests... I'm back, baby! ...play games. I pick my jaw up off the floor real quick. <laughs> real quick. Put that back on. And do an interview. My secret is... This is published on the first and third Sunday of every month, so come join us. And I hope you have a good time. Bye!